Hello and welcome to ESPN Cricket Info Stump Mic. Listener, this is Thursday, the 3rd of March. Less than 24 hours out from the 2022 50-over World Cup in New Zealand. And to preview it all and to answer all the burning questions with me today, first up is Firdos Munda. Firdos, good morning. Welcome. Good morning. It's good to be here and good to be up nice and early. i got to just say, New Zealand is the absolute centre of women's sport for the next 18 months. We've got a Cricket World Cup, we've got a Rugby World Cup, we've got a Football World Cup coming up. So lots of early mornings for us in future. Uh, for you, it's very, very early mornings, right? I think the, the games will start, what, 3 in the morning for you? Maybe sometimes even at midnight. Yeah, we've got midnight starts and, and 3 a.m. starts. So becoming a real nocturnal creature. For the next month, at least. Along with Fidos is Anisha Ghosh. Anisha, welcome to Stump Mike. Thank you very much, Karthik. Like Fidos, I'm so looking forward to attuning my body clock to 3.30 a.m. starts and 6.30 a.m. starts India time. And I cannot wait, wait for the tournament to begin because it's been four and a half years. I mean, this is the longest break we've had between two uh, Women's ODI World Cup. So, can't wait for the tournament to kick off. And for the first time on ESPN Cricket Info Stop Mike, someone who's recently joined this parish is S. Sudarsharan. Thank you, Karthik, for uh, having me. And uh, I'm looking forward to this World Cup, but uh, I've also ordered extra uh, packets of coffee to kind of keep me awake in those early hours of the day. <laughs> mm, mm, yeah, yeah, those those will be needed. Uh, I'm going to start with, 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 I think, the, the simplest question here. So, Ashanan, let's let's start with you. Let's let's get your voice on stump mic first up. Can anyone beat Australia? Uh, yes. The, the the simple answer would be yes. Anybody can beat Australia. Mm. We've seen that last year when India came close once and then did it uh, in the in the immediate next game. So yes, they are. Beatable. And that was to end the streak, right? That yeah. was, I think, to end their ODI streak. Yeah. Yes, it was. Uh, they they ended that record streak of what twenty six ODI. So they are beatable. Mm. And uh, but if you ask me if they are the favorites, they are strongly the favorites. But I'd want someone else to win the World Cup just for the health of this this women's game. So in the ODI World Cups that we've had in the women in women's cricket. Anisha, what is it? Six have been won by Australia, four by England, one by New Zealand. And I was I was looking at at the Wikipedia results page yesterday, and I think even the finalists, it is India has been there twice, West Indies once, New Zealand twice, and the rest have all been contested between Australia and England. Uh, is it possible that that Anisha that we're going to see a repeat this time? Well, this uh, Australian group hasn't uh, won a Women's ODI World Cup yet. They have been uh, champions in the 20-over mm. format twice, in the 2018 edition mm. as well as 2020 edition, uh, which they, of course, won on home soil. So, the Australian group led by Meg Lanning would be raring to go, would be eyeing, uh, you know, that coveted uh, silverware in the 50-over format. But I do think that, uh, you know, much wanted as their history in the ODI format may have been, they are still not the runaway favourites. Simply going by how we've seen the other teams perform in the recent past. And as Sudarshan had mentioned, we've seen India beat them, break uh, their uh, record streak, world record streak in cricket, in global cricket mm. at 26 matches. And I think uh, New Zealand, South Africa and India are pretty much on, on an equal footing 
as far as uh, beating the potential of uh, the prospect of beating Australia goes. I, I, I'll just say one thing, Onisha. I mean, I don't think we can brush aside the fact that that streak at the end of the day was 26 matches. That that Sorry. That is a long, long, long time. Absolutely. Which speaks to not just the performance of this particular team, uh, this particular Australian team, because that streak began with a win in Badodara, India. Uh, you know, and mm. it sort of set off uh, a streak that would go on to beat uh, Ricky Ponting, uh, Ricky Ponting's uh, team. So yes, no doubt they yeah. are uh, they are a formidable side, but they do have shortcomings in both their batting and bowling departments, which I think New Zealand sides like New Zealand, India, and Australia are well placed to exploit. Though South Africa, mind you, have not played them uh, since the 2017 ODI World Cup. Uh, and last time India played them, of course, we saw that thriller of a last ball finish uh, in, mm. in Mackay. And of course, they did win the final ODI. And as far as New Zealand go, it was during the uh, Mount Monganui Rose Bowl series that Australia had achieved their uh, world record streak. So these are teams which... Uh, which stand a good chance going by the personnel they have. And yeah, Australia might not go on to win the World Cup this time around. For those, it's not even five minutes in and you have your hand up diligently. Diligently. i got to say, you know, you mentioned the favourites and, and we had our editorial meeting yesterday and we were talking about the teams worth watching and the priority teams. And, you know, it's not normally like me to have to say that I'm feeling a little bit irritated that nobody is really recognizing that really <laughs> South Africa's chance. I know we're supposed to discuss this later on. We talk about this every time a major tournament comes around. They're just not being mm. spoken about as, as being in the running. They've won five ODI series in a row, reached the semifinals of the last World Cup, lost by kind of, what was it, an absolutely tiny, tiny margin, reached the semifinals yeah. of the T20 World Cup, lost by a tiny, tiny margin. And I say this only because South Africa have spent the last four or five years really building towards this tournament. They identified what would have been the 2021 Women's World Cup as the one they wanted to win. Obviously, then it got postponed by a year. Quite a few things have changed. I think they're coming in quite hot. And I, I don't know why it is that they're not part of the conversation. Obviously, we can't rule England out. We can't rule Australia out. We can't rule New Zealand out or India. But I really think we could see a new Women's World Cup winner this time. Uh, probably two reasons for that. One, like Anisha mentioned, I, I don't know. I may be off base here. But the fact that for those that South Africa haven't played arguably the best side of our, of our times, Australia, in, in quite some time. And, and maybe, and I don't mean to be flippant here, but because it's, it's South Africa. Yeah, though that could definitely be it. Uh, always when it's South Africa, that, that is a reason to be doubtful. A third reason that you didn't mention there, Kartik, is of course that Dane van Nikak won't be at the tournament, so she slipped on her new pool deck uh, just before the tournament and, and broke her ankle and is absolutely devastated. You know, this was the World Cup that she wanted to lead the team at. She's been in and out of the side with injury and illness, and I think that they really need her and she really wanted to be there, so her absence... And the difference that makes remains to be seen. But I think that could be another reason. And of course, you know, one of the other reasons that South Africa don't get mentioned necessarily is because they just don't win these tournaments, do they? They go there, even if they do really well, nobody actually believes that they can do it. And just speaking kind of locally to people involved in the game here, a lot of the sentiment is that the women could well win a World Cup before the men. And I think that would be amazing for a country where, where sport is built on a culture of toxic masculinity, for the woman to bring it home, I think would be 
would be absolutely fabulous. Uh, and the same probably applies all around the world. So, you know, to that end, we need to see women's sport doing well everywhere. Yeah, and I, I, I Sudarshan, I'll come to you. But if, before that, I have to say, Danny Vanekirk, she's she's been a gift to the commentary box. If if anything else, if there's one silver lining in in the injury that she'd had, she's she's excellent on comps. Go ahead, Sudarshan. Yeah, just wanted to kind of support Firdos there because she's been flying this South African flag for a recent while, and and overall, <laughs> there are very few who are giving South Africa the chance. But I believe mm. that they are one of the strong contenders this time round because. If you look at that side, even without uh, uh, Dane van Niekerk, they are a well-rounded unit. They have multifaceted players. So, Firdos, I, I don't think you are alone in in saying that South Africa, South Africa can perhaps turn the tide. Uh, I believe so too. See, so we actually hired a, a really good person. Hey, new new addition. To the- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it seems like we're all we're all turning towards South Africa to an extent. I mean, Laura Folvart for me is is the best cricketer going around currently. There, there is an excellent feature, I think, on on just one of her strokes, which is the cover drive. Listener, you have to go out and read it. We have we have this entire series going on on who who plays it the best. Uh, I'm 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 on board. I'm on board with with uh, South Africa victory, Orisha. And look, they've had incredible, uh, you know, outings in the hundred and the WB, WBBL in uh, individual capacities. Marizan Cap, Shabnam Ismail. My God, it, all it takes for Ismail to uh, really, you know, knock out a, a batter. You know, it wouldn't be the ideal scenario. And I hope all batters sort of are very much on their feet, and uh, you know, they they weather the Ismail storm well in the tournament. We wouldn't want to see anybody injured. But yes, all it really takes for Ismail to knock out a batter is with that vicious bouncer. So their bowling attack is by far the best bowling attack uh, we have in this particular World Cup. And make no mistake, uh, their experience in the uh, you know franchise and uh, domestic tournaments like the 100, the WBBL is going to come good when it comes to performing in press- pressure situations. Yes, uh, South Africa carried a tag of you know that C word. Uh, for those, should I mention it? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I I feel so unfair on the women's team, right? Because the previous semifinals Mm. they reached, I don't know, can we even say that that's what happened to them? It was so heartbreaking both times. And I just feel like maybe because we've done it so much with the men's side, when it happens with the women, we're like, no, it wasn't that. We come up with all sorts of other reasons. But I'm glad you mentioned Shabnam Ismail because that girl is fierce, right? Um, I did a profile mm. piece with her and I thought she was going to scream at me through the phone. You know, she's, she's, not <laughs> she's got a lot of attitude. She's definitely one of those cricketers that I think she calls it her white line fever and they called her the demon as she was growing up. She really wants to go out there and make it happen. And I think, you know, players like her, we'll probably talk about this a bit later, who are maybe, she says it's not her last World Cup. But, you know, she is 33 at the moment and there are probably a few in that age range. Maybe this is the last time to make an impact. And I'm sure that the same thing applies to people from several other teams. Anisha's got a whole list, I think. And I will definitely urge all our listeners to go read Firdos's uh, Cricket Monthly profile of Shabnam Ismail because it's one of the best pieces ever written on Shabnam Ismail and she's really uh, laid her heart bare in terms of the kind of person she is which you wouldn't be able to uh, figure when you see her on-field demeanor because she's so fiery, she's so pumped up all the time and here she's you know, somebody who's, uh, who's quite a character off the field as well. So listeners, do please uh, read the Cricket Monthly profile first times with Shabnam Ismail. Anisha, while we're on it um, and we're speaking about players who are maybe 
entering the twilight phases of their career. I know you were talking about whether this could be a last hurrah for for some of the players across several teams. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and just who you think really needs to, to make a big impact statement uh, as the tournament goes on? Sure, there are a few from pretty much uh, all of the teams from India. For example, you have the likes of Julian Goswami, Mithali Raj. Uh, they are both pushing 40, mind you. And I think uh, Julian is the uh, oldest uh, playing member uh, from all of the from any of the squads uh, in the in the World Cup. And uh, New Zealand themselves have the likes of Katie Martin, Amy Satterthwaite. Uh, Martin is 37. You know she's played for nearly 20 years, and we've seen the kind of uh, body blow she can deal uh, lower down the order as we. As we witnessed during the bilateral series against India, Amy Satterpate is coming back from uh, motherhood. You know, she's had this incredible journey, a trailblazer of sorts, uh, forced New Zealand in a way, you know, uh, to... Uh, introduce a maternity policy and so many of the other boards have followed suit. Bisma Maruf, uh, you know, is one of the beneficiaries of Satterthwaite probably, uh, you know, showing away along with her wife and teammate Leah Tabubu. Susie Bates, well, this could be her tournament too. She is uh, 34 and most likely playing her last World Cup, uh, ODI World Cup and so could potentially be Catherine Brunt as well. So there are so many of these players who have been uh, stalwarts in their own right and have done such great service to the sport for nearly two decades and I would individually you know personally want all of them to have a great tournament individually and should that happen you will see that reflect in the performances of the respective teams as well because they are they are such crucial cogs in the wheels of the respective teams when it comes to batting or bowling. Yeah I think just to add to that you know this is probably the end of maybe the first era of the professionalization professionalization of the women's game in that I think of South Africa, for instance, 2014 was when the first contracts were awarded, Pakistan 2011, the first contracts were awarded. And so we're kind of seeing that that first era of professional women's cricketers' careers possibly coming to an end and, and kind of like maybe drawing a line in the sand over phase one. of of the way that we can see women's sport and and women's cricket developing. So I think while we just wait for Kartik to rejoin us, I'll flip the the question and and ask Sudarshan, and what about the other side of that? Who who are going to be some of the young players that you think we should keep an eye on? Yeah, that's a very interesting question because uh, uh, if if you ask me, I'd probably say even Mithari Raj is young in that sense. But uh, I know know what you mean and I think Fatima Sana is someone who's I'm going to have a keen eye on because uh, she's really been impressive last year, 24 wickets across formats and also uh, the ICC's uh, Emerging Cricketer of the Year. So she's one interesting prospect. But even Amelia Kerr, for that matter, how good has she been um, in recent times? She's been promoted up in the batting order, reaping rewards and and how, in fact, she was batting at what, 5-6 and it was just earlier this season against India that she came up the order. So, those two are some the, the, the young names that come up immediately. But again, I'm not going to take my eyes off ever when Shafali Verma or Richa Ghosh are in the middle. So, these are some four or five names that I can think think of. What, what, what are your preferences in that sense? Yeah, I almost want to say uh, Laura Wolfard in a way we've spoken about. I don't even know if she's young anymore. Very unfortunate that uh, Nadine de Klerk 
has missed out. She looks like a very interesting prospect from a from a South African perspective. Fatima Sana is the one that I'm very interested in. I've actually just done a, an interview with Diana Baig, who has done some very fun YouTube videos with um, Fatima Sana, kind of like a a bowl off at the stumps and some cute little interviews. And she looks like a real character. She looks like somebody who really gets in the game and, and has performed so well. I think she's won the Emerging Women's Player Award. So she, she's definitely the one for me. Uh, but I think Anisha's got a couple of others in mind. What are you thinking, Anisha? But, 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 but before Anisha comes in, in if Wara Vulvat at 22 is not young for those, I, I have nothing else to say. Like Then we're all just ancient here. Sure. I think Darcy Brown is somebody I'm looking forward to watching uh, play in this World Cup because she's been phenomenal for Australia ever since her debut, uh, you know, uh, uh, very recently. And she has been one of uh, the best finds for Australia who have come through the WBBL route and also the WNCL route. She is uh, one of the best examples of how a robust domestic infrastructure can actually lead to the production of world-class national players, international players. And Darcy Brown, she's all of 18, uh, along with the uh, likes of uh, another teenager in Richard Ghosh, who had a phenomenal tour of Australia, and she was outstanding in the uh, New Zealand series as well, scored the fastest ODI 50 for India. And uh, with the gloves too, you know, she can be a uh, sort of a difficult uh, uh personnel uh, to deal with for battles because she's quite alert with the gloves, though not one of the most polished wicket keepers you'll see in the international uh, mix. But yes, certainly, Darcy Brown and Richard Ghosh uh, could have great tournaments both. Onisha, you had mentioned something on our WhatsApp chat, on our Slack chats yesterday, and you wanted to talk about how this is uh, Bangladesh's first ever Women's ODI World Cup that they're going to be participating. And I guess this also leads from the fact that Sri Lanka aren't here, we're not, we're not going to see Chamari Atapatu, unfortunately, at, at, at this World Cup. So, A, great for Bangladesh, but how, how did the qualifiers come about where, where we've missed out due to certain, c- certain COVID reasons, probably, that, that, that the qualifiers couldn't take place in its entirety? Certainly, there has been an element of luck involved in Bangladesh's qualification, though attributing their qualification to luck alone would be uh, incorrect and a bit of a, a bit of an injustice to this team because uh, look at the end of the day rankings is all it boiled down to you know when the ICC uh, took cognizance of the fact that the tournament wasn't going to go ahead and I think uh, late August is what the cutoff date was for the uh, standings to come into play and the tournament the qualifiers mind you were taking place in November. Uh, and Bangladesh, by virtue of having a higher ranking than Sri Lanka and Ireland even, uh, made the cut eventually as one of the three final entrants into the 2022 ODI World Cup, along with West Indies and Pakistan. It's their you know, maiden bow in a 50-over World Cup. They have played a few T20 World Cups in the past, haven't done well you know, as far as the standards they had set following their 2018 Asia Cup win. A lot was expected of them at the 2020 T20 World Cup in Australia as well, but they had a pretty forgettable tournament. And now they uh, come into this tournament uh, with with a very young uh, side, but there are experienced players in the likes of Jahanar Alam, Romana Ahmed, Salma Khatun, their leader, their captain is uh, very young, Nigar Sultana. So a lot 
of onus is placed on uh, nigar's uh, captaincy as well because she would be leading so many of the senior she uh, has she debuted under and uh, she has shared the dressing room with they have a decent bowling attack and i think they do stand a chance chance to cause the odd upset uh, they were reasonably uh, they performed reasonably well in the warm ups uh, and uh, should their bowling attack come good on the day especially their spinners yes we talk about new zealand being uh, you know conducive to new zealand conditions being conducive to pace bowling seam and swing movement and all of that but i think uh, should spinners bowl uh, you know disciplined lines and lengths as we've seen some of the indians do in the recent bilateral series against the hosts i think they could have uh, have a good time and yeah certainly look out for bangladesh causing that odd upset uh, probably more than once even yeah i just wanted to talk a little bit about that qualification process which uh, i think we all agree was a little bit disappointing in that it had to be cancelled midway through after the omicron variant was discovered here in in southern africa and and really west indies first of all i think they're an interesting one to look at because they were in they were part of those qualifiers their record in t20 tournaments is so vastly different to their record in 50 over tournaments and Kofani Taylor speaking at the pre-match press conference was saying she thinks that the the players seem to enjoy the shorter format because they can go in and kind of hit the ball around a little bit and they don't have to build an innings necessarily and she really wants her batters other than DeAndre Dotton and Hayley Matthews to to really start to build partnerships and we really saw that when West Indies were here in South Africa as well it seems like they get going a little bit and then as soon as one or two wickets fall then they kind of collapse so you know for them I think uh, their progress through this tournament could be really interesting but also what was so disappointing about those qualifiers not taking place is that we had a team like Zimbabwe who only just recently got ODI status for their women's side and who've got some really interesting players. There's been a great uh, documentary produced on them on Al Jazeera. Are we allowed to say Al Jazeera on ESPN? I don't know. Oh, anyway, absolutely. You can name the documentary <laughs> as well if you if you remember it. I, I think it was called My Zimbabwe and it focused on a couple of the the women's players from the Zimbabwean team. And, you know, Zimbabwe is a country that's obviously been through and, and continues to go through lots of strife and to see the game really take flight among women there. It was so interesting. The qualifiers were held in Zimbabwe. I think, you know, we haven't seen Zimbabwe, men or women, at a at a global tournament for a long time because they had a temporary ban from the ICC and now they're back involved. And it would be really great to see the women's game progress in, in places like Africa as well. So I really hope that the qualifiers can take place in future. Speaking before the tournament, we, we spoke to Jeff Allardyce, who was mentioning uh, some new pathways for women's cricket and it looks like the ICC have got some good plans in place because I think next time we want to see a proper qualification process obviously this time circumstances made it difficult and then you know you will get uh, other teams a Zimbabwe an Ireland uh, a Sri Lanka with the possibility to come and play at the World Cup uh, and I just thought that that would be an interesting way to, to grow the game as well. Something interesting about Bangladesh is uh, one of the advertisements that has uh you know grace the board's website since may 29th 2021 is that of one looking for a head coach for the bangladesh women's team they tried mark robinson couldn't uh, eventually the the talks didn't come to fruition and they went to the qualifiers with a local coach and the same has been uh, done for this uh, world cup as well so they have a pretty local support staff so they they are lacking i mean if you want to look at uh, how the coaching setup in the subcontinent works uh, unless 
you look at India, who have, of course, a former India international in Ramesh Babar. Uh, David Hemp is the coach of the Pakistan women's team. So Bangladesh, for the longest time, have had been looking for uh, a head coach uh, personnel. Once Anju Jain left the job, there was a bit of a controversy around that as well. So there is this famous Bangla uh, Robindo Shongit called Akla Chalore, which means you have to walk your own path by yourself when there's nobody else around to support you. So I think this World Cup is pretty much shaping along those lines for um, you know Bangladesh when it comes to them having uh, gone into the tournament with a homegrown support staff and with pretty much very little exposure against the top side. So all to look for when it comes to Bangladesh's ODI World Cup debut. The, something tells me you're trying to indicate, Anisha, that we're going to see some sort of miraculous story here and I, I'm, I'm not so sure if reality will work in, 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 in that way, yeah? The odd upset. Well, we spoke the about that, right? The odd upset. I the think, odd upset, yeah. yeah. yeah that, that, that would be good to see. Now, both of y'all mentioned... Every World Cup's going to have one, right? Like, we can't mm, just go to a yeah. World Cup where things are, things are exactly as we thought they'd be. I'm with Anisha here. we we got to see something happen. I mean, Bangladesh... The, 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 reason, the, reason, the reason for those why I say this is because, because of the format in itself. We saw it in the Men's World mm. Cup in 2019. Afghanistan, they put a great story. They had a few close games, I think, against India for, for one. But they went home and I don't think they should have been put in a position where they lost nine games in a row. I don't think the format helped them in the fact that they were they had to sit in a tournament. At the end of the day, nine losses in, in, in a row is, is, is not a great look. And maybe yeah, it so. doesn't really help them in the long run. So I just hope that, that, that the same doesn't happen with Bangladesh. But I guess the odd upset and, and, and time will tell. So Ashanan, I have one question for you though. Uh, and it relates to what Fidoz mentioned, what Anisha mentioned about Fidoz was talking about how West Indies look at ODI and T20I cricket. Uh, in, in in the men's game, there is this uh, discussion that, that happens on and off about whether ODIs are still relevant, especially bilateral series. World Cups are, 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 are the pinnacle of our sport, or at least in, in, in the limited overs format. But whether bilateral series are important does does a similar discussion happen in 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 women's cricket or is it still is it still like like what you achieve to do is go is go to world cup play a world cup win a world cup i think uh, that that discussion is is a bit uh, i mean it's kind of kind of out of context in women's game because mm. they they barely get game time if right. you say because even in domestic cricket there are these sporadic uh, competitions that take keep taking place but otherwise if you look at that that uh, if you look at the women's cricket calendar there are so many of these uh, uh, blank spots which is not the case in men's cricket mm. so while while the topic of odi is being relevant in men's cricket is a different uh, different chapter i think they are still relevant in women's cricket because if you talk about the longer format in order to help a player develop his her game it is the odis in in current scenario yes we are starting to see test cricket in women's game as well but uh, if you if you kind of globally say the long format of women's cricket is odis at the moment so right i think in that sense it is still relevant and i think teams should kind of you know uh, play more and build towards and yeah in in the current uh, the, the way the women's game is structured Every bilateral series in ODI cricket is kind of looking forward, keeping the next Women's World Cup in mind, the 50-over format. And that is where the uh, ODI championship perhaps helps because every single game is important in that sense because we saw the 
17 to 21 cycle end and then there were lack of fixtures the the, the south africa india series last year the pakistan series or whatever the series were played from last year were out of that championship cycle and that's where it came down to the to the board's interest and the board's activity to organize tours but otherwise it's been a silent uh, kind of uh, it has been silent so i think odi's help and that odi ch- championship cycle helps a great deal for the women's game especially when we look uh, talk about building teams for the world cup for those i'll get you in on this as well now we saw the the t20 world cup a couple of years back was it at the start of 2020 the the T20 World Cup in Australia. Now knowing the size of the grounds in New Zealand, we're probably not going to see eighty five thousand in 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 a stadium. Although that that would be lovely with people hanging off the trees. But but what are your expectations in regards to? I think they're allowing ten percent initially crowds in attendance. Uh, in terms of the buzz coming from the from the teams from the people maybe across the world, not not just in New Zealand. How 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 does this World Cup feel? Is it different maybe to the one in England? Does it feel more low-key or at, at a higher standard even? So I'm really glad you asked that question because I'm actually just writing about that having been to the Sophie Devine press conference where she was talking about the vibe. And I was at the World Cup in 2015, which was co-hosted by Australia and New Zealand. And uh, really the, the vibe in New Zealand, and we spent quite a lot of time there, was incredible. You know, they, they had a, a great campaign, Dream Big New Zealand, with a little picture of a black and white cat. Uh, and and the whole country really got behind them. And for a rugby-mad country, for a country that really nothing else matters except the All Blacks, it was just incredible to see how they rallied behind the, the cricket team that time. And Sophie Devine was kind of saying she hopes that a similar vibe can be created, albeit that New Zealand's borders are still heavily restricted, And as you mentioned, only 10% of fans in the ground initially. And then perhaps as the tournament goes on and if restrictions ease and regulations change, they might look at getting more people in. So we're not going to get full houses. We're not going to get the same kind of vibe we had at the 2017 World Cup in England, where that was an amazing, amazing tournament to, to cover as well, especially the final, which was such a nice family day. You know, Lords can feel quite austere, uh, quite uppity, a little bit exclusionary some of the time. And that 2017 World Cup final, Lords was just turned into the most incredible, family-oriented, uh, very fun, very vibey place to be. And I think it, it really changed the way a lot of people, administrators, see the way that the game should be marketed at different types of people. So, yeah, we're not going to get the crowds necessarily this time, but uh, having just covered the South Africa in New Zealand test series, there were definitely people there, some people. And there were lots of children around as well. So hopefully we're going to see a little bit more of that. I think the one thing, and I I say this with the utmost respect for the organization that New Zealand cricket are able to put on and the, the venues that they've prepared and all sorts of things. I do wonder about the wisdom of having this tournament in a time zone that is so inaccessible at a time when people also can't travel. And I understand that the tournament was given to New Zealand some time ago and then was delayed by a year and probably plan B wasn't something that the ICC wanted to go to. But I just wonder, you know, as you mentioned, we're talking about midnight starts in South Africa, 10 p.m. starts in the UK. It's obviously more palatable for Australia or India. It's kind of a lot to expect people to be watching through the night and following and supporting. And I just wonder if that's not going to hurt the tournament in some ways. Not least that there there are not many people that are going to be there covering the tournament. And so 
you know, you've got this very unusual time zone and then you've got these very unusual circumstances that we find ourselves in. And uh, I just hope it doesn't make us go backwards from the progress that we've made in the women's game over the last four or five years. Anisha was one of those people that I think would have loved to be at the tournament, uh, much the same as as I am. And, uh, you know, we're not there. And that's because of circumstances, I guess. Anisha, what do you think? Do you reckon that um, maybe maybe this tournament won't be as well covered as we hope? Well, as far as ESPN Cricket Info goes, we can assure our listeners that we have worked really hard uh, in the build-up to the tournament to bring you the kind of content we think will help you familiarize yourselves with, uh, you know, names familiar or otherwise. And over the course of the next one uh, month or so, we are going to burn the midnight oil on your behalf so that you are able to stay abreast with all the information, all the tidbits, the features, the news around the Women's World Cup. Yes, we'll be... Awake at, uh, as Firdos said, uh, 3.30 a.m. South Africa time, 2.30 a.m. India time, so on and so forth. Uh, But I do agree with Firdos in that it's not uh, the best uh, uh, plan in terms of uh, promoting the women's game uh, as far as visibilizing uh, it through more television audiences uh, is concerned. Uh, But yeah, such are the times and we'll uh, have to adapt to it. And I also agree with, uh, you know, Firdos with the fact that the tournament has been sort of marketed all right, marketed pretty well. There's something innovative that the organizing committee led by CEO Andrea Nelson uh, have brought in, which is free childcare for all spectators. That's a plus, given there are going to be as many as eight mums, by the way, uh, at this uh, World Cup. We'll have something coming up at ESPN Cricket for soon on this. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's just great to see that uh, the organizers have gone out of their way to ensure that... Uh, they are, they are the spectators given uh, the spectators are given as much uh, a family friendly experience as possible so their kids will be taken care of uh, while the mums and the dads watch uh, the games unfold I must say, Anisha, the commitment that you have expressed there about the times that we're all going to be up and awake, uh, I'm telling you, the readers are to be so, so grateful, and we all are so grateful to the work that you put in at these crazy hours. You know, two weeks of covering that New Zealand Test Series overnight made me feel like I was a little bit delirious. So it's going to be an interesting one. Look, there may not be any podcast in a couple of weeks from now because we all might be grounded by then. We never know. But yeah, as they say in Hindi, Ummeet pe dunya kayam hai, which means hope is what the world, world uh, resides on. So here's hoping that we are, uh, you know, still uh, up on our feet by the uh, end of the tournament. The final takes place on 3rd April, uh, by the way. So yeah, hoping that we are able to weather this uh, three these 3am starts and 2.30am starts and... Uh, are able to stay the course. April the 3rd, so that's exactly one month from now, one month of jam-packed World Cup action. It doesn't really get much better than that. Sudarshanan, let's look ahead to this weekend's action, probably focusing on the two marquee games, the Ashes contest between Australia and England and Sunday's India versus Pakistan clash. Uh, Is it safe for me to presume that Saturday's encounter will be a lot more closely fought than Sunday's effort? I think uh, I I think the opposite of what you said because uh, we saw how Australia were kind of a level above England in the recent series and 
looking at that England squad, I feel they are a bit weaker than they were in 2017. So if if you were to ask me my top four, I will be reluctant to name England immediately. So that's how I see them. Uh, I may be wrong. I don't know. But so in Eng- England, Australia, I think I, I, I can kind of predict and say Australia will win. But for India, Pakistan, we've seen that those fixtures are very rare in bilaterals. In fact, they are non-existent in bilaterals and even rare in, in world tournaments. So that is a novelty factor that uh, I'm looking forward to in that in that clash. So India, Pakistan, I feel that game would be closer because of the composition of this Indian team as well. And Contrastingly, Pakistan having the likes of San- Fatima Sana, Nida Adar, Ali Adiyas, everybody firing, returning Bisma Maruf, an extra motivation there. Not that you need one when you're leading your side. So these are some of the factors that I think will make an India-Pakistan contest a bit uh, a, a, a bit equal than the uh, the women's Ashes one. Now, I've got to say, you mentioned this weekend's games. You said uh, we got Australia, England, and we got India, Pakistan, and then you left out something very important which is that on Saturday morning, Bangladesh will make their World Cup debut and they'll be playing South Africa in the tournaments, uh, in both of their tournament openers. I think that's going to be a very interesting game. I would encourage everybody to watch it. Also, the tournament kicks off with New Zealand and West Indies. And I actually get the feeling that's going to be quite a good game too. Despite New Zealand's hot form against India, you know, they hadn't won a series since 2018 before they beat India. So I think we, we might be in for a closer contest than we thought. And uh, I think we could have a great opening weekend, actually, you know, almost like a like a Super Saturday, Super Sunday type weekend in, in women's sport, which is fabulous. All right, I'll, I'll correct myself. Let's have a fantastic Friday or Super Saturday and a Super Sunday with New Zealand versus West Indies, Bangladesh versus South Africa, Australia versus England, and India versus Pakistan to complete the opening weekend of the 2022 World Cup. For those, I'll stay with you. And this is a question for all three of y'all. I'll come to all three of y'all. Last one before you go. Give me the four semi-finalists. I think we're probably looking at Australia, South Africa, England, and New Zealand. So, sorry, India. I think narrowly probably going to miss out. So, no subcontinental side in your final four? Yeah, I'm being that person. It's very colonial of me. Um, <laughs> look, I'd love it to be... I'm just thinking on form and on, and on what India have been through in New Zealand just in the last couple of weeks. I mean, that's the way I had to go. But you guys can argue. You guys pick the subcontinent sides, right? You're the India office. Look, it, it doesn't really have anything to do with my being an Indian. Uh, we are journalists. We are very objective. We are very, we are completely unbiased. Uh, let me make that very clear. Otherwise, I'm completely unbiased. Something. I'm just uh, chipping in to mention that I'm completely unbiased. And normally, I would never have been this strong about South Africa. I'm completely unbiased. Continue. I think I think Karthik Deepthi Sharma is going to take a bit of an offense to Fredos's prediction because uh, one of the standout performance of this World Cup could be one of the all-rounders, I feel. I mean, the all-rounders in the likes of Amelia Kerr, Talia McGrath and Deepti Sharma, along with uh, Nat Siva and, of course, Sune Lees, uh, the South Africa stand-in captain who's leading in the in the absence of Dani Van Niekerk. These five all-rounders are going to be crucial to their uh, side's campaigns. And uh, as far as my top four goes, well, South Africa, New Zealand, India and Australia. Holders, England, I do not quite see them uh, making the semifinals. And that could be a possibility uh, if COVID, mind you, takes out some of the key personnel of uh, the sides I mentioned. Ashley Gardner, mind you, has been grounded for 10 days 
uh, starting from uh, March 3rd because she's being uh, she has tested positive for COVID. So one thing that all teams would want to uh, be wary of is exposure to the virus because should they lose some of their key personnel to the uh, to COVID, that's going to that's going to really offset their plans in a big way. So should each of these four sides have uh, all of their personnel available to field a full-strength team? Lizelle, mind you, is going to miss the first South Africa game because she arrived late in New Zealand or because it was part of a pre-arranged understanding between the ICC, Cricket South Africa, the South Africa Cricketers Association and NZC to allow her to travel later because uh, her wife, Tanya Cronier, was expecting uh, their first child and uh, her son, uh, Vihan, was born on 22nd of Feb. So these are key people, you know, these are key resources uh, in teams like uh, South Africa. And as I said, uh, Smriti Mandana, for example, wasn't available for the entirety of the New Zealand bilateral series, which is why their performance wasn't, uh, India's performance wasn't up to the mark. So you would want all of these uh, key personnel to be available for their uh, respective teams. And should that happen, I think India, South Africa, New Zealand and uh, Australia, who, as I mentioned earlier, are not the runaway favourites, but definitely one of the front runners to win the World Cup, should be able to make the semi-finals. Yeah, uh, Australia, New Zealand and South Africa are going to be my runaway top three. Like I'm going to say that in the morning, let's say, and I might kind of think, think and rethink and come back in the afternoon and say perhaps England or India. Uh, at this point, I think England will make the top four at the cost of India. But I think uh, I'd be happy if India make it because as, as we've spoken at various points, Mithari Raj and Julan Goswami, they've... they've uh, slogged it off the spotlight and it's time for them to kind of reap rewards of that but uh, having said that one final word i think this is this will be a world cup where there'll be a passing of baton from ellis perry to talia magra in that australian side as the as the all-rounders so yeah that's what i think at the moment we have your predictions we will come back to you in maybe a couple of weeks to see how y'all are faring at 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 that stage Anisha, Firdos, Sudarshan for the first time on Stump Mike. Thank you so much for joining us just a day ahead of the World Cup 2022. Enjoy. If caffeine doesn't take us out, that is. <laughs> Thanks, Karthik. Nice and smooth. Thanks for having us.